This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. Analysis and Analogy Analyze this. You can analyze anything into nothing. Apt Analogy In this segment of Unmind, we continue exploring the intersection of design thinking and a Zen praxis. That last $10 word we may take up in future under praxis and practice. They're not exactly synonymous. But for now, I want to focus our attention on analogy, its usage in Zen teachings, and its reliance on the faculty or process of analysis, one of the most powerful tools of the human mind. In his seminal teaching, Genjo Koan, actualizing the fundamental point, Master Dogen makes a point of pointing out that he is using analogy in a very intentional way to get his point across. After a long and varied passage using firewood and ash to illustrate the relativity of time by analogy, then pivoting to the all-too-human experience and perception of birth and death as analogous to firewood and ash, followed by the famous section on the moon reflected in a dewdrop, further citing oceans and mountains as exemplifying the knowns and unknowns of duality versus non-duality, finally pausing to declare that all things are like this, he launches into an even longer passage on birds and fishes in their respective elements, ending with, If the bird leaves the air, it will die at once. If the fish leaves the water, it will die at once. Know that the water is life, and the air is life. The bird is life, and the fish is life. Life must be the bird, and life must be the fish. After this charming semantic reversal of conventional causality, citing life itself as the primary cause, he affirms that he is purposefully using analogy. It is possible to illustrate this with more analogies. Practice enlightenment and people are like this. All things are like this, narrowed down to the nature of practice enlightenment and people. He continues, finally arriving at the point of this series of analogies, addressing the so what question. Now if a bird or a fish tries to reach the end of its element before moving in it, this bird or this fish will not find its way or its place. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. So the point of all this analogizing is to bring the person listening to the point of actualizing the fundamental point of Zen practice in their own space where you are in time at this moment. Note 
that practice occurs. It is not something that we do, not something that we can actually do. The etymology of praxis hints at this. Late 16th century, via medieval Latin from Greek, literally, quote, doing, from pratine, do. Just as Dogen points out in Zazen Shin, Lancet of Zazen, that the clarity of our original mind is, quote, actualized within non-thinking and, quote, manifested within non-interacting, here he indicates that the main thing we practice in Zen, in the form of Zazen, is ultimately a form of non-doing. This idea also finds resonance with the first major Chan poem from the 17th century, Xinxing Ming, Trust in Mind. No comparisons or analogies are possible in this causeless, relationless state. Take motion in stillness and stillness in motion. Both movement and stillness disappear. When such dualities cease to exist, oneness itself cannot exist. To this ultimate finality, no law or description applies. It is difficult to embrace the idea that any so-called state of awareness would have no cause. It seems obvious that something, some set of circumstances, must be determining to some degree the state of mind we are in at all times. We might want to altogether abandon, or at least challenge, usage of the term state to identify a level of awareness on this order of comprehension. The apprehension of non-duality, or duality within non-duality and vice versa, may involve a kind of realization that cannot even be regarded as a form of awareness. Here, words fail. Amongst the words that no longer have any real relevance or resonance when the above kind of conclusion comes about as a result of Zen training is the term Zen. At this point, it seems we have come to the end of analysis and that the utility of analytical thinking has become the futility of relying on a kit of tools that have reached the limit of their usefulness. The spirit of inquiry now returns to a more primitive or primeval level of sheer observation in which language and labels no longer stick. My teacher described this aspect of Zen as something round and rolling, slippery and slick. A well-known female Zen teacher named Tony Packer, 1927-2013, was known for turning down the offer to succeed Philip Kaplow Roshi one of the first generation of formerly recognized American Zen priests and author of an early classic, The Three Pillars of Zen, one of the first Zen books I remember reading. I became aware of Miss Packer when a young man who had been practicing with her community visited us in the Atlanta back in the late 1980s or early 1990s, if memory serves. He began questioning the way we were doing things, from our style of walking meditation to our exposition of the Dharma. 
based on his exposure to Packer's approach to taking the Zen out of Zen, and who had written a book that he mentioned. I asked to read the book, which surprised him. Apparently he assumed that I was set in my ways. After reading the book, I suggested he give a guest talk to the group, since he felt so strongly about the matter. During the talk, in which he ran down the litany of all the challenges to our way of practicing, the reaction in the room was, in effect, that he seemed to think he was the only person who had thought of these seeming contradictions, when in truth everyone listening had been there done that in the history of their practice. Ironically, the whole point of Packer's book was to admonish the reader to avoid failing into comparative thinking. Comparative thinking is fundamental to analysis itself. It is difficult to imagine any kind of analytical process that does not involve some form of comparison. But if you arrogate to yourself the ability to judge the practice of others, and especially to challenge established communities of Zen practitioners, this is to make a fundamental error, a type of category error. It presupposes that the efficacy of Zen and the method of Zazen depends upon the particular performative rituals and the environmental setting that surround and hopefully support the central practice of meditation. If the effect of Zen depended upon specific details of group practice protocols, an argument could be made that one approach is probably and provably more effective than another. This would not explain the enlightenment of some of the outstanding ancestors, such as Huinong, who experienced profound insight with no history of practice or Dharma study. Others had no substantial insight until they had left behind the formal practice altogether, beginning with Buddha himself. As Master Dogen himself instructed, from the first time you meet a master, without engaging in incense offering, bowing, chanting Buddha's name, repentance, or reading scriptures, you should just wholeheartedly sit and thus drop away body and mind. While Dogen surely engaged in all of these activities, he recognized that they were peripheral to the personal experience of insight and meant to be supportive to the central practice of Zazen, the effect of which does not depend on the peripherals, nor does the essential process of divesting ourselves of the social, cultural, and personal baggage we have accumulated during our short lifetimes depend on our powers of analytical thinking. You cannot analyze your way to Zen's insight you cannot think your way to spiritual awakening. But that does not mean that analysis or thinking is the problem. It is our misunderstanding of the functioning and consequent misuse of this powerful tool that is likely to be our downfall. One of my mentors from the world of design science, R. Buckminster Fuller, defined human intelligence as our ability to extract general principles from particular case experiences. After so many repeat experiences 
of witnessing fast and slow-moving entities such as rabbits and turtles, or rafts and rocket ships, the child comes to know the meaning of fast as opposed to slow, as a universal operative principle not limited to any particular example. All things are like this to co-opt one of Master Dogen's frequent tropes, which captures the general utility of analogizing. Likewise, the sheer repetition of taking up the posture, breathing, and open awareness of the method of Zen holds out the possibility that under such intensive observation, the constructed self will implode, revealing the underlying true self, the practitioner having successfully extracted the general principle from the many case experiences of engaging unfiltered awareness again and again and again. In the next Unmind, we will take up another universally operative principle, gravity, compared and contrasted with its more human aspect, gravitas, and their relation to Zen and design thinking. Meanwhile, please recognize the relative futility of depending upon analysis in your Zen practice, especially in meditation. You might instead consider how Zazen compares and contrasts by analogy with the other operative dynamics of your life, such as your profession or health and wellness initiatives. Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at azzc.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.